Open up to Mark 4 again. Mark the fourth chapter. And we're going to pray. And uh, when we begin, it'll be with the 13th verse. We're going to pass in review briefly and, and take this a step further. Like I said, things are running so many different directions in my spirit. So many different directions. I don't mean that in an unteachable sense. I mean I can hear things and I'm just waiting for God to put it together, you know, and He will. <laughs> I can feel the teacher tonight. Glory to God. I can feel the teacher. Hallelujah. We begin studying this. And I made mention... And I've been making mention every night. It is so important to me that if you had asked me two years ago or three, are you walking in peace? I'd said, certainly. Because I didn't have now to compare then to. And since this hunger to know God has pulled me into Him. Now, I've never had any trouble loving God. I had problems in the past loving people. I kept trying to give them back to God like Moses did. Seems like he didn't want them either. <laughs> but it didn't take me long to find out that I could only draw so close into God that He didn't cause the love that was in me reaching for Him to go horizontal. And He began to make statements and back it up with the Word on the inside of me. Like, my love is perfected in you as you have love one for another. And if I ever had trouble with verses, it was verses like, how can you love God whom you cannot see and cannot love men who you can see? And I'd think the whole time, that's my problem. I can see them. If they wasn't here, <laughs> I wouldn't have any problem loving them. And last night, we found out that two of the major keys to purging us of the kind of unbelief that Satan ceilings our life and our churches with that subtle, deceptive kind that Satan will come on the scene, seduce us, seduce our businesses, seduce our churches, put a ceiling on them. And the problem is, he is so evasive and seductive and deceptive that we don't even know that it's him that's doing it. And that's where His power comes from. He's so subtle and deceptive. It would not be deception if you knew you were being deceived. And He's so powerful, so subtle, so deceptive. He has taken men of God out. He has transformed once moves of God to dead religious organizations. He's sealing businesses that started as givers. And the problem was, when it was over, they never knew who did it. 
So we studied last night the power in prayer and fasting. He said, why wouldn't that devil come out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And he went on to say, look, you can move this mountain hence to yonder place. And made an incredible statement that few have ever dared to believe in any generation since Jesus. He said, you learn to deal with this kind of subtle unbelief, the kind that Satan seduces and neutralizes without people knowing who did it. Deal with it. And he said, I say unto you, in nothing. He said, nothing shall be impossible to you. Well, much to our amazement, we found out that prayer had more to do with us than the circumstances around us. We found out that fasting had more to do with us than the circumstances around us. Well, when he says, How be it this kind cometh not, but by prayer and fasting, it certainly wasn't the prayer they uttered over the boy to get him delivered. That one didn't work. So the prayer he's talking about is the kind that changes us. Us. The mountain's not your problem. The lack of finances is not your problem. Your husband and your wife is not your problem. Your problem is whether or not you can believe that they're gone. Hallelujah. So we got into the prayer aspects and found out that most enduring prayer will first work on us. It'll first work on us and bring us to a place in Him. It'll work on us. And then we found out that that's what fasting does. Fasting first works on us to bring us to a place. So we studied prayer. We studied prayer in God's government. And we found this out. Passing in review. He said, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I'd have... I would not have you ignorant. And that, that makes us even, you know. He said, I would not have you ignorant. And he went on to outline the government of God. He said, there's nine gifts of the Spirit. And these nine gifts empower these five ministerial offices of apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. And these nine gifts that not only envelop, but qualify these five offices are all enveloped in eight operations of God and you and I are called to fill one of these eight operations which he named as and God has set some in the body first apostles secondarily prophets thirdly teachers after that workings of miracles and gifts of healings which envelops the pastoral and evangelist office and then he went on to the sixth operation of God, helps. Then on to the seventh operation of God, which is government. Then on to the eighth operation of God, the foundation operation, which was diversities of tongues. Diversities of tongues. Now that one's at the bottom of the list because the other seven rest upon it. 
because of all the operations, this one qualifies you because it's the only operation where you invite God on the inside of you to get involved with your spirit where all change takes place. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the resulting in the diversities of tongues. Well, then we found out there's four diversities of tongues. And we're passing in review for a reason. There's four diversities of tongues. Number one, tongues for personal edification. Number two, tongues that presents itself in the public assembly for the sole purpose of interpretation. Number three, tongues that extends itself into the deep intercessional groanings of the Spirit and empowers a believer to stand the gap for family, for city, for nation before his God. And the fourth diversity was tongues that presents itself as a sign to the unbeliever when the Holy Ghost transcends your intellect, leaves it out, and empowers you to testify, to teach, or to preach in any language you have no previous knowledge of. That one's happened to me nine times. <laughs> I like it. And of these four diversities in this eighth operation, two of them is designed for use in the public assembly. Tongues for interpretation and tongues as assigned to the unbeliever and two of them is designed as use in your prayer closet. And that one is tongues for personal edification and tongues that extends itself into the deep intercessional groanings of the Spirit, which once down, once again brings us down to these two. Now, the rules that govern tongues for the deep intercessional groanings of the Spirit is as different as night and day as tongues that govern the use of, of personal edification. Now, I wished I could groan in the Spirit any time I pleased to cause great revival and the strong man to fall in my city come running into my church. But I can't. That is, severally as He wills. I wished I could, and again I say, there's people who think they can. And it never produces anything but flakiness. And they wonder, what's wrong? Well, everything's wrong. Everything. I wished I could operate in it. I cannot. <laughs> Rick Renner. A personal friend of mine. How many's ever heard him teach? Look at these hands. Boy, he's a teacher's teacher, is he not? And, and he got in a groaner church. A groaner church. And in this groaner church, the pastor stands up and says, I used to do that little shimmy shimmy tongue, you know. That shimmy little tongue till I found out there wasn't any power in it. And now I'm a groaner. I'm a groaner, you know. And the minute he quit preaching, Rick Renner quit preaching in this guy's church. And Rick says, I don't know how I got in that church. He says, for the sake of me, I don't know why they invited me. The moment Rick got done teaching, the whole church doubled over. Grabbed their stomachs and doubled over and went, Oh! 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 And old Rick goes, Oh my God! What did I get myself into? And I've seen them get so weird. And I, you know, I just don't have much time for it. I mean, when, when they bring the buckets out and it's not for an offering, it's time for me to leave. <laughs> when they pull water guns out 
as symbols of authority and to cast the devil. Say, get out, get out. And then point at him supposedly as he walks out and then reholsters their water gun. I'm through with that prayer meeting. So. <laughs> and I can't help what happens to people. I, I wonder, 20th century, sane, computerized, educated people all of the sudden think intercession is barking like a dog <laughs> or crowing like a rooster. I couldn't believe it. This sane, intelligent, 20th century evangelist sitting next to me testified before I did. Oh, he sounded so intellectual. He had such a command of the human language that it put me to shame. I'm thinking, my God, i got to get up after this guy. And so he, he finished testifying, and my turn was coming after a while, and he bends over to me. Now, this guy looked like $2 million sitting there, and he had a vocabulary that matched. And he bent over to me, and he says, I heard you're an intercessor. I says, well, yeah, I guess. He says, does this ever happen to you when you're at the height of the groanings, when the power, and, and you know, I only ever groaned a couple of times, you know. <laughs> in my short ministry of three years as it was. And this guy got it every three minutes. You know, that's because I refuse ever to fabricate anything. Ever. I can't live with me. <laughs> so he leans over and says, when it's on you, and I'm thinking back of the two times it come on me, you know. <laughs> And one time I was struck deaf almost. I, I didn't know what happened to me. And that night our first totally deaf woman got healed. Glory to God. He slid me in to stand the gap. <laughs> wow. She goes, I can't hear. She's 33 years old. First time ever. I got to stand the gap for her that afternoon. Glory, glory, glory. Anyway. He bends over, you know, bends over, and he says, in the height of the groaning, and he says, does that barking anointing ever come on you? I, I thought something was wrong with my ear, you know. He said it again, and I looked him in the face trying to figure out whether he was joking or what. You know, I looked, and he looks so serious, and I'm thinking, he's either else a poker player, or he believes this stuff, you know? And I says, uh, no, I can't say that it has. And he says, you know, it goes, woof, 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 woof. And we walk around on our hands, and he's in, woof, woof. I said, you do that in intercession? Yep. And he says, oh, and the rooster anointing. I said, well, I, I've got to. Uh... <laughs> there is only one diversity in this eighth operation of divers tongues that I can pray in any time I want. Because the deep groanings of intercession flows through me. 
through me as God empowers me because I'm a citizen of two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God because I've been born again. And I'm still possessing this body, so I'm also a citizen of this earthly kingdom. So that gives me authority here. And when God comes to me and wants to use that authority to move things here, then He privileges me by sliding me into the deep intercessional groanings of the Spirit, picking me up by the nap of the neck, placing me between a catastrophe that's about to take place, one of our boys that's about to get killed, or a bunch of people trying to get to hell places me on the back and I stop them with the authority. I release God to move and He sends angels, people, everything. He can do anything if He can find an intercessor. See, He can do anything. That's why I wish I could operate in it. Anytime I want. But I can't. There's only one that I can operate in. Anytime I want to. As much as I want to. Wherever I want to. And that's tongues for personal edification. Because of all the other gifts, they flow through you for the edification of others. This one flows to you for your own edification. So He has done with this one what He has done with no other. Because He has made you the steward of your own edification. He has made you the steward of its operation. Now, it's this tongue that most people meeting for prayer will spend large amounts of time in. Now, I'm going to warn you. Take it or not. Take it or not. And it does make a difference to me whether you take it or not. Because I don't want to see you floundering around for the next five years in productiveness land. He says, is there a danger of me doing that? There's more than a danger of you doing that. More. But watch the teachings that run around saying that everybody can be an intercessor and that shimmy, shimmy little little tongue just won't hack it. That you got to have this real militant warring tongue. Scream at the devil. Oh, when you're praying in tongues, you're not even talking to the devil. He says, I'm talking to God. The devil's left completely out of it. He'd like to understand what you're saying, but he don't. Now, in times, in the diversities of tongues, God may move through you, switch the tongue, switch the anointing as He wills, and then issue some orders in the tongues of men and angels. But my friend, that's not the tongues for personal edification. And you don't do the other at your will. The only one you do at your will is tongues for personal edification. And that one, you can say, well, shimmy, 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 you're not yelling at the devil, so you're not getting anything done. Baloney! So it doesn't matter whether you scream. Oh, squirrel that boy! Or whether you're rather finesseful about it, or you're one of those that's curled up on the chair, nothing but your mouth moves. Or you're one of those that's so quiet you have to put your ear right by their mouth, you know. I don't know.
doesn't make any difference because it's your spirit that's praying. It's not the kentic energy of your flesh that you put in it that gives it the power. It's because the Holy Spirit is creating the words and using the authority that's in your spirit to release them. And they're changing your life because it's tongues for personal edification. God, the Holy Ghost, is praying for you if you got time. <laughs> so it doesn't matter, but except you're not going to learn enduring prayer. Enduring, that's the one you spend most of the time in that tongues for edification. That's the first power flow that you'll enter in the eighth operation when you You can go 10 hours, 15 hours. A hundred hours. You don't wear yourself out. That was my first transition from altar holiness when I thought I had to go hour after hour in the motel rooms, in the cars. Because it doesn't matter what energy you put in the thing from the flesh. What does matter is that those words are being created supernaturally by God the Holy Spirit. And He is praying one of the most powerful, changing, edifying prayer that anyone in the universe could pray for you. Tongues for personal edification. The number one power flow. The second power flow is this is this, after you're in tongues for personal edification, you'll begin to edify and charge yourself up. Word will begin to be lit. Illumination will take place. And pretty soon, things you want to get rid of in your life will come forward and be put to death. But there's a problem. Things you don't want to get rid of also come forward. You know... Self-exaltations are higher purgings. Higher purgings. The ones that put the big ceilings on your life. Like the security that's in the power that's in money. Just money. Money. That that can get a hold of a person and their security's in it. That they can't give it up. But they want to be godly. But they just can't. They cannot serve both gods. I want both of them. Nope. But I can't. I, listen, I'll just keep this God over in the corner. In, in Abba, I, I can be a good server, but please don't ask me to give away down past my last million. <laughs> I, I'm going to go pray in tongues and I'll do everything. So he goes to prayer. Edification, edification, light, light, light. Finally, that character flaw is pulled out in the light. And he says, make a decision. Can I have both of them? Let me keep him too. And he pulls it out. And the more you pray, the more you face yourself. Sometimes you can get depressed over it. You die. I'm, I'm not going. I, I'm switching churches. <laughs> you did yourself a disservice. Go somewhere where they don't care about you. Go ahead. We're going to get into this tonight. Go somewhere where they don't care about you. Where they care whether you have a reward when you enter heaven or not. Go. They don't care about you. And this has been a problem with churches. We go in and we say, 
Pastor, I want it to be this way, this way, and this way. And if you don't change it, there's plenty of churches that will. And what do they do? They change it. You think they did you a favor? They didn't do you a favor. Not at all. And pastors juggle sheep. They stand on their head. They build gymnasiums, put swimming pools in them. And all the sheep are happy because it was like getting a new car. But like any new car, it wears off. And the same God hunger and the inability to stand through problems lived with you because nobody cared about nothing at fleecing your wall. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that when He brings you to the place where He starts pulling out the character flaws of higher purgings like the love of money and self-exaltation and torments and fears that keep you from moving out in God, when He starts pulling these things to the forefront, it's because you're never in any better condition to handle the death of them because of your edification. But my emotions feel worse than they've ever felt before. Yes, that's because you're producing more power than you've ever produced before. Your emotions got you in trouble last year, didn't they? So why are you trusting the lion scoundrels this time? (laughs) So the number two power flow is when He can finally get you to stick long enough to get enough power in you so you can face yourself. And when He does, then He kicks in the second power flow. It is a minor form of intercession where you literally stand the gap for yourself as He pulls these ugly things out and you feel them. You stand the gap for them, yet you remain faithful to prayer and they start dying one at a time and God replaces them with peace and you're on your way to the third power flow, the deep intercessional gap standing groanings because you have just lost a bunch of the handles that the devil could take you out of prayer with any time he wanted to last year but now you don't have them handles anymore so God can stick you in the gap and get lots of people saved through your prayer because when the devil comes to kick your brains out there's nothing there to kick him out with <laughs> Hallelujah. And that sets you up for the fourth power flow. The hilarious, joyful waves of glory and power of refreshings that will flow over a person after a major war and the stronghold has fallen. It is party time, boys party time and you find yourself you thinking mosodaka you're just free flowing god is so edification borasa shodaba oh then all of a sudden he starts switching jotoka oh shadamache and and immediately what you want to do is like any pregnant woman about to give birth you want to go somewhere where you by yourself you know Yeah, that's a feeling you get inside. You want to go somewhere where you can be alone. And boy, they'll come sometime. 
per hour. So takatia ushi nakita us and I'll roll and I feel like I'm gonna die and sometimes the lost of people comes on me and I feel abandoned and alone and lost and that adds to my agony until the tears are hot and I hurt and I cry and I groan until he lifts it. <laughs> I was doing a preacher's conference right in the middle of my teaching like this. A woman jumps up and goes, oh, oh, oh. And I said, my God, that woman's in deep intercession. I said, ushers, there's a little room out back. Go out there and put her in it because she's probably going to be in it for days. Go put her in that private little room. Why, she wasn't in it for days. She's back in three minutes. No show, no flow. After them, deep, them warring times. Here he comes. Here he comes. Luevo Gloria, Sodaka. Yes, Tadem. Hoda Cardencia. Asada. Nariko de Bidici. Zalabara. Zalabara. You're rolling on the floor waves of glory and joy and total refreshing. It's incredible when the Holy Spirit passes through a man, through a man to bring an edification report that says, a stronghold has fallen. Those are the four power flows. Now you're starting to understand what I said in the beginning of the week when I was in a Rick Renner meeting. And I was at the tape table waiting for him. Rick Renner come back and sold these tapes. And this little intercessor steps up and says, I want to be an intercessor in the worst way. I just want to pray. Oh God, I want to be an intercessor. But I know this intercessor. And she prayed so much in tongues, she got weird. I couldn't take it anymore. I finally stepped between him and Rick Renner and I says, If you get weird, sir, it'll be because you had a capacity to be weird. And what happens to people that get weird is when the Holy Spirit gets a mirror and brings them to the second power flow and sticks that mirror up and says, now I'd like to show you an ugly thing about yourself that you don't want to turn loose. <laughs> and you look at it and you go, I like my money. He says, well, how about the self-exaltation? I like that too. See, so you know you. I'm not going to do nothing around the church if I don't get 76 slaps on the back for it. I like it. I'm addicted. You want me to weed the law? You want what? <laughs> Paint? <laughs> me? The Holy Ghost to bring you face to face with them. And you don't want to get rid of them. It doesn't matter. Because if you keep praying in tongues, He'll bring him back with force until you will either else deal with him or you'll go out of there mad at everybody and get weird about it and tell them that tongues will make you weird if you pray too much and you are lying. <laughs> so, so let's take this in and understand it just a little bit more because I, I want to tell you where all this is bringing you. 
We've been talking about peace. This, this one carries a package of stillness and dominant security and peace. Something that talks louder than any problem that says, it's all fine. You're secure in Me. That's where you're heading when you choose to believe what God says over all your problems. And it's not enough to know that He said you're supposed to cast your care over on Him. And I know we preach that. Cast, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting the whole of your care over onto Him, for He cares for you. And we went into great lengthy detail how to do it. You take all your cares and roll up them in a package. Jesus has wide shoulders. Roll these cares over on Him. Now He has them. That's great in theory. You know, how do you get it off the page? <laughs> so you got this smile. I left all my cares at the altar. I made the quality decision. I'm not going to worry anymore. Unfortunately, worry is an emotion. Unfortunately, it's like love. You just don't reach up and go flip and turn it off because you're thinking, I found the switch. Some of you thought, well, I rolled them over on Jesus. And you went home that night. One little small insignificant problem. You drive a Volkswagen. Your cares also drive a German car, a Ferrari. Is that German? Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. I won't worry about that unless I get one, you know. Your cares drove a Ferrari. Say, why do you say that? Because when you got home, they were waiting for you. <laughs> say, buddy, how'd you do? I did 110 getting here. How'd you? Well, I want you to know I did the speed limit. Say, yeah, well, I'm about to leap upon you. You go, I, I resisted. It says, won't do you any good. And I'm going to visit you tonight. <laughs> You're going to wake up in a cold sweat, buddy. You're going to worry. <laughs> and they leap upon you. And he said, humble yourself under God's hand, casting the hold of your care over on Him, for He cares for you. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking, doing inspections on people, looking for people with care, because that's what qualifies you to be devoured. Whom he said, resist steadfast in the faith. Now, I used to think that my Yancey hypertension kind of faith, that any kind of problem would invade this way, or this way, and this way, you know. I rebuke you, devil. Uh-oh, he's invading the left quarter. I rebuke you too. Oh, now he's coming in the front door. I rebuke you now. What? Now he's jumping on my kids. I rebuke you now. And I thought that's how you resisted the devil, but that was a full-time job. <laughs> See? And when he said, For Satan as a roaring lion walketh about seeking those who have care, because care makes them devourable, he said, Resist them steadfast in the faith. Then if care what makes you revourable, then the way that you resist the devil is by resisting taking the care. If you don't have it, he can't devour you. How did I get rid of it? God, I'm glad you asked, little voice of unbelief. 
<laughs> he said, humble yourself under God's hand, become teachable. He said, totally teachable under the mighty hand of God. That He may exalt you in due time. And the way you humbled yourself under His hand is under His Word. And the Holy Ghost in that eighth operation desires to purge these things out of you if you will let Him. That's why He says it's through the Spirit that you mortify the deeds of the body. And it doesn't do me good to jump up here and say, y'all need to walk in love. Say, thank you for telling me. I knew that the whole time. Just before I yelled at my wife, I knew that. You've been preaching that for three years. Yeah, I can preach you and tell you, but I can't open you up and put it in the inside of you. You have to turn yourself over to the Holy Ghost for that. And you husbands and wives that are at each other's throat all the time. Go to marriage counselors. They get you books. Do yourself a favor. Love your wife. They give your wife one. Do yourself a favor and love your husband. This is a night the kids need to be in the nursery. <laughs> you, you come home from work and you think, what's this woman doing with a rose in her hand in a negligee? <laughs> just, what's this dark candlelight dinner? <laughs> What's this foot massaging business in a newspaper? <laughs> she does that for a week or two, and it's funny. You go, my God. Then you, you find this book in the car. You don't know how it got in there. <laughs> so, so in your lunch hour, you start reading. And the next day, you think, well, I'm going to cook her breakfast in bed. So on the way home from work, you pick up. Six dozen, no, six red roses, you know. And you cook her breakfast, she's still like, say, wake up, sweetie. And she, when you set that tray down and them roses are on it, she just melts clear under the tray. <laughs> By golly, you're on your way. <laughs> Should have got this book a long time ago. <laughs> Boy, this stuff is really good. So about six weeks goes by and you come in and you cook it all up and she looks on the tray and she says, Don't they have anything but red roses down there? <laughs> I mean, at least you could do it change the color of the roses once a... <laughs> He said, Well, I... I just not soon see your fat bulging out of that night. I'll slap you clear out of bed, woman. I'm piling tonight. My God. It's one thing for us to teach. Y'all need to. And I love these prosperity seminars. You go in there and this guy, he made millions of dollars, you know. Billions. Millions. He's going to tell you how. And a lot of them, doesn't matter if they're the world or the gospel, it sounds the same. <laughs> and you go in, this guy is good. 
you know. They just love to put stacks of money on the table in front of them and thumb through it, you know, get you hot. <laughs> and all of a sudden you wonder, where have I been? Boy, they get to teaching you, you've got to do this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. And pretty soon you're dragging this yellow pad out about big as you are. You got this pencil. Boy, man, if I'd only known this five years ago. Oh, man. My God, for the next five weeks, you're up at six in the morning writing your ideas down. Woo! And, and immediately after work at four o'clock, you are employing these hours. For the next two hours, these ideas, you're employing them to the T. Boy, you're going to be a millionaire by the time you're 50. That's it. This guy did it to you. So what happens? About five weeks. Ring, alarm goes off. <laughs> Whatever that ugly thing was that lived in your character rose up and took you over again just like it did every time before. And whatever that ugly thing was <laughs> rose up and just slapped your wife right out of bed. After all that counseling, just like before. And it's the same thing when we try to mortify the flesh with extreme willpower. Especially dieting. You know, the extreme will. You ever heard of a New Year's resolution? Yeah, they're them things you break, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, man, uh, you, you've ate so much salad. You, you extreme discipline and the weight's coming off. Day after day, your willpower is attacked by something. Comes somewhere from within and attacks. And your poor will gets real shredded and it's real thin and you're hanging on. You, you go past the bakery, you know. Next thing you know, the, the police get a call. We, we just had something that resembled Rambo that went through the bakery. Cake laying all over the place. On the walls, on the floor. <laughs> this is what we've been doing. We've been preaching in our youth. Well, let's just create a program and they, let's keep our youth so busy they don't have time to go into the world. <laughs> Problem is, when you feed them through that busy thing, keeping them out of the world, if you don't turn them over to the Holy Ghost, when they come out of the other side of your program, they're going to be the same as they went in. We're supposed to be teaching people how to turn their self over to the Holy Ghost in the eighth operation so he can turn them over to Jesus and do the things that you can't do by willpower. He's the one that gets on the inside of your spirit where all permanent change comes from. And when you pray in the Holy Ghost, God is affecting prayer out of the part of you the roots die in. I don't know how many times we pick the flesh fruit off the tree. I'll never do that again. 
you failed to destroy the root. So it was just a matter of time to the flesh. And all those character flaws grew back on the tree. Why? Because we haven't learned how to turn ourselves over to the Holy Spirit and let Him mortify the deeds of the body. And we're doing you a favor when we push and push for you to come and spend time in prayer. I know you think I'm making intercession for the city. And of truth, you are because you're bringing yourself to a place where you eventually will make intercession because you'll be so strong and your character flaws will begin to be put to death. The love of God will be birthed. The devil can't manage you anymore. You'll become someone God can use. Right. I was hoping was going to make it to Mark 4. So instead of going to Mark 4, let's go over to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to look at faith for a minute. We're going to be in it because that's what we're all after. Who's not after faith? Who doesn't want to say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea? And when the Lord told me to bring it together tonight, I was happy. Because I thought maybe He was going to make me get out there and really chop you up. <laughs> and He says, I gave him a good bite. When I was going to bring you through Mark 4, He said, The sower soweth the word and persecutions and afflictions. And cares of this life and deceitfulness of riches and lusts of other things all entered in and choked the Word. And it became unfruitful. And the persecution and afflictions, he called it stony ground. But you have to understand, when that Word was sown upon that ground, the stone already lay beneath the surface. That's what hindered the growth of the Word. And, and you're the receptacle of the Word. The Word is sown on your heart. And He says, these are they that persecutions and afflictions is what they become offended over. He called them stony ground. The stone existed in the ground already when the Word was sown in it. And it was the stone that gave the devil the authority in your life to finally offend you and cause you not to choose the Word. Then he says, these are they that are sown among the thorns. The thorns already existed in this ground. And he said, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entered in and choked the Word and it become unfruitful. Again, the thorns already existed when the Word was sown. It was the thorns that gave the devil his authority to cancel the operation of the Word out of your life. Choked it. If you didn't have a capacity to be choked or a capacity to be persecuted and afflicted, then the devil would have nothing to empower him to mess your life up with. 
It's the stones and the thorns that He had to have on your part to stop you with. And that's what the Word is purging out. He didn't tell you you had those things to classify you eternally lost. He's saying those things gave the devil the authority to stop you with. Then He said these are good ground. Such as hear the Word and bring forth thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He said, is a candle lit to be hid under a table, not to be set on a tabletop? Is the Word of God given to you not to understand? No. The Word of God is given to you for the same reason a candle is lit and put on a tabletop. It's supposed to illuminate a dark room. There's no use lighting a candle for light unless you need the light. I know there's ceremonial reasons. But in this case, he's talking about illumination and you don't light a candle unless you need the light. He said that's the function of the Word. When it enters into your dark life immediately, it will brilliantly show light on every area of your life where the thorns and the stones live. Then you say, I want a hundredfold. He says, let me show you how you'll get it. He said, there's nothing hid would not be made manifest. There's nothing kept secret that it will not come abroad. Meaning, if your heart desperately is seeking a hundredfold, then there's no stones. There's no thorns that will stop you. He'll make sure when He ignites the Word, it will shine a light on all those thorns and all those stones. And when, when that brilliant light is shown, then He'll give you the power because of illumination and revelation knowledge at the hands of the Holy Spirit to cut them stones out, to remove the thorns. That's what makes your ground productive. He's trying to tell you something. Now, He's got a program modeled for you. Most of you, it doesn't take much of a devil to handle. You get a low-level, cheap, expendable devil. <laughs> How many loves me? Huh? Most of us are low level. We're stony. Stony. A little bit of persecution and affliction will do it. Most of us get the cheap, low level, expendable devils. There's billions of them around. You know? Billions of them. Two or three a person. They just bring a little persecution and affliction and that stone inside of your ground gives them authority. That's their foundation. So they just remove the Word out of you and you just roll around in circles the rest of your life and enter heaven with nothing. Nothing. But then we get a little more serious. We say, I'm not going to let them penny anything. Some little persecutions and afflictions bother me. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's going to take at least a good dose of cares. <laughs> so now he's got a, a program streamlined for the guy that makes it past that the stony ground he's got a program streamlined see he said these are they that are sown among thorns and the thorns choke the word they have a strangling effect they're a long lasting long enduring thing like the cares of this world my God the weight of it disquietment, apprehension. I am an adult. I have family. I have children. Where is this world going? 
the economy. Black Monday on the stock market. One world monetary system. Mark of the beast heading this way. Unsure economy. Things are failing. The ozone level. It's open. We're losing our atmosphere. Nobody will be breathing in a month, you know. Usually, the cares take a person over when they enter a realm of responsibility. And you're responsible for something. Family, ministry, anything. And it weighs on you. And they weigh on And the devil throws them at you. What you going to do? What you going to do? It's over. It's over. Your budget. It didn't come in. It's over. Lost your job. Don't have any unemployment. Six kids. And when has God answered a prayer for you? It's over. It's over. It's over. Until finally, you throw your hands up and turn and leave God. Cares of this life. Choke the Word. And the answer He had for you is choked out. You stopped. But then if you make it past adversity, because those three deal with adversity. Because my friend, when it comes to adversity, the flesh, God, it looks for a way out, you know. It wants to get out of it. But when it comes to pleasure, it looks for a way in. So if you've survived persecutions and afflictions and cares, you've got fiber, steel, boy, you tough. Let the devil throw hell at me. I'm used to it. I was to Vietnam. I'm used to it. Take your best punch, devil! You're not knocking me out of the saddle. You run out of money. Everything's weighing on you. The Empire State Building falls on you. You jump up and push it out of the way. You come out of the rubble. Where's, where's the ninth round? Well, the devil knocked you out. Where does he live? <laughs> Trouble just won't do it. So he switches his tactics after care. And he enters in to the deceitfulness of riches. Because when it comes to pleasure, the flesh looks way way in. And if he can't beat you out, the devil want to suck you in. Now we better talk about this one for a moment because there's only one left after that and that's the lusts of other things and that deals with self-exaltation, glory hunting. And that's what the devil fell over. He wanted to be just like God. And you'll find that ministries that survived even the money and the women like Dowie and Branham such powerful gifts that people still meet and worship their memory, believing that He's going to be resurrected. That must have been some God kind of gift that man walked in. Powerful meetings. And none of that other stuff got Him. Women didn't get Him. Money, the most humble man, every dime was accounted for. I mean, if the budget would be met prematurely, He'd quit taking offerings. He's that kind of guy. There ain't very many like that today, you know. Oh, we're over. Oh, the rest of it's an investment. <laughs> Is anybody having fun? So Dowie and Branham both survived that, but guess what got them? Guess what got them? The devil says, well, I can't use persecutions and afflictions. They both survived it. They survived the cares of this life. I can't use that. They decide the deceitfulness of riches. They survive that. I can't use that. So he says, I only got one left. 
It's a lust for other things. And that one's so deceptive and so powerful. And what makes it so powerful is most of the time the preachers and people and businesses are taken out without knowing who did it. All of a sudden, the devil began to drop a few suggestions. Is there any other like you in the land, Branham? Who has got a gift like yours? And Elijah is to come. He is to come. And pretty soon he started teaching without actually saying it. Who else qualifies? I mean, he must come before the return of Jesus. And who else has a ministry that would qualify? I don't see any anywhere in the land. I'm not saying anything. Yeah, just before he was killed in a car wreck. He began to think he was Elijah to come. And it's that self-exaltation to godliness. The last one people fall over. Dowie built the city of Zion. A refuge for Christians. They come from all over the world to be healed. He too began to think he was Elijah to come. Now do you think it's coincidental that a devil that both men begin thinking the same thing if there wasn't a force out there causing them to think that way. But most of us don't have to worry much about the lust for other things. We don't make it past the deceitfulness of riches. Now, are you ready for this? <laughs> I used to think prosperity was based on something else than what it is based on. But since then, I have found out since entering that room of peace that God exclaimed godliness with contentment is gain. He said there's those that suppose that gain is godliness. And He said they are destitute of truth from such turn away. Now can you imagine being labeled destitute of truth. Now destitution is totally abandoned by the necessities. And he says these men are destitute of truth because they supposed that gain was godliness. He says from such turn away well if gain isn't godliness what is? He said godliness with contentment is the gain. For you brought nothing into this world and you'll certainly bring nothing out. And what he was saying is this. He wasn't discrediting our prosperity. What he was saying is what qualifies you for the prosperity is the peace and the contentment of God. Contentment and peace is the qualifier. Why? Because the devil can come in and fight you and you'll lose your seven million temporarily. It won't make a bit of difference to you because you got contentment. You can turn around and get it all back. Or you can be broken, rock around the corner and draw, but God will drop a billion dollars on you. Makes no difference because in either case, whether you're out of money or you got it all, the devil can't use it as a tool because you have peace and contentment. Why? Because there's no other force quite like money. If you've got a thorn or a stone, 
and money comes into your life. Or you make it. You make it. Yours. The sun is shining on the sinner and the saint. The laws of reaping and harvest. A sinner sows a field, he harvests it. That's why he said, be you merciful. You can afford to be merciful to the sinner. You can afford to. You got God. My God, I couldn't understand that chapter. Sixth chapter of Luke. Couldn't understand it because he says when a man sues you to take your coat, give him your cloak also, slaps you in the face, he says offer the other one and forgive him. He says love your enemies, do good to them that hate you and pray for those that despitefully use. That don't sound like a successful business, man. When that guy's suing me for my coat, I'm supposed to give him my cloak. When he's slapping me on the cheek, I'm supposed to turn the other one. In the middle of all this mess, when he's suing me, ramrod me, taking my house and everything away from me, did I show mercy to him by letting him do it? I show mercy to him by letting him do it. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. Because I may be the only thing blocking him from going to hell. And you can sue me over my testimony. If that's what it costs to give it, I will give it. And you will listen. And you're taking everything I've got and I'm having mercy on you by letting you do it. Because the next verse says, judge not, you won't be judged, condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, you'll be forgiven, and then give, and it'll be given, heaped down, pressed together, shaken. I'll cause men to give to your bosom. He's talking about the guy that walks in love. They're stealing your goods and taking them out the back door, and God is actually causing, without a crying, red-lined prayer list and mailing list, begging and pleading for money, He's causing people to come in the front door with ten times what you had. <clears throat> Won't you just shut up about this stuff? <laughs> I can't. If you've got a stone or a thorn and you come into money, then the devil will reach in and take a hold of that money and put pressure on the stone or the thorn. And if you've got one, there's such power in money, it'll take you and twist you up like a pretzel. Twist you up. And I'm thinking, God is the qualification for getting rich, get rid of the thorns and the stones. He said, you got it. Because then I become the causer. And buddy, when I cause, everybody in the world can sue you. And I'll just come in the front door and give it all back because I am the causer. <laughs> Are you ready for this? What a culmination night. I was praying desperately about revival in third world countries as opposed to revival in first world countries. Until I entered into peace, God couldn't show me the answer. But He showed me, and something that hurt me so bad, is I was in a church, a large church, and there was a woman sitting in a wheelchair. 
And I kept waiting for God to tell me to go over and jerk her out. And He never did tell me. Then I found out the story on this woman. She was desperately saving her money to go with her pastor to Africa because her pastor had brought videos back. And these videos showed people with white eyes that formed pupils and was instantly healed when he prayed for them. Something like 30,000 people was healed in his crusade. He brought videos back showing one invalid after another. And this woman was in his church. And she was desperately saving money to go to the third world country with him so she could sit in the invalid section. And when he prayed for the sick, she could jump up with the rest of them because when he got back to America, he didn't have that anointing. And I have found that to be true, but I've always wondered why. When preachers come from third world, they tell about the great miracles and you're thinking, boy, we're going to see some. So when you drag the sick out, Almost nothing happens. And you're so disappointed because you heard all the great things. So my question to God was this. Why an anointing like this in the third world? And it seems like there's an invisible perimeter that when I cross over into first world America, the anointing is cut in half. I said, I don't understand why. And I went to those that seemed to be somewhat among them and asked them. And they told me, well, those people are on their last leg and they're poor. They don't have any money. You're their last hope. If they don't get healed, they just die. Well, if that's the case, I can go empty all the hospitals around here of people who doctors and religions through with, and you're their last hope, and I'll fill the auditorium up. Go ahead and empty it. Nobody can help them. That's the shape they're in. They can't afford a doctor. They have to believe or die. Well, how about these people? How about these people who doctors can't help? Fill you an auditorium with them. Go on, empty them. And so then another man says... Well, they have simple childlike faith. It is so simple that you just... And I'm thinking, my God, it must be because I preach one message through a broken translation. And people start jumping up out of wheelchairs and stuff. And here the translator probably didn't even get it right. He probably slaughtered what I said. <laughs> and they still jump up. And if that's that simple childlike faith, the kind that we should have that gets that kind of results then you ought to be able to jump a jumbo jet, all of you, for Tulsa. And we should have museums with crutches and wheelchairs because it seems to me a simple childlike faith is the kind to have. Then the more word you hear, the more simple and childlike your faith will become. So I says, that don't hold water. We ought to have museums in Tulsa. But when I came out of peace, the Lord said to me, He said, I can tell you why it's not just America. First world country, it's not Japan. First world country, Great Britain and Australia. He says, it's all these first world countries as opposed to third. There's always revival in third world and there's always no revival almost in first world. And I said, why, Father? Why? 
And I'll never forget what he said. He said, the devil is deathly afraid and has corralled through the flesh is setting on, deftly afraid of, the power that's in the multi, multi trillions of dollars in first world countries. The devil is encamping on the perimeter of revival in first world countries and he's camping on the wealth using the stones and the thorns to keep it from being released because he's afraid, deathly afraid. He knows that if a bunch of you people ever crash through that perimeter through the eighth operation of prayer and crash through and begin to punch a hole in the devil's lines of defenses and transformation begins to take place and the multi-billions start pouring into the gospel that it'll spread around the world and this thing will be over. So any group of people, any man, any woman of God that approaches that perimeter and presses where revival like that lives, the devil moves in from the four quarters of the earth and beats his brains out. Whereas in third world countries, they don't care too much. Because they don't have the wealth to spread it anywhere. It usually dies within five miles of where it started. So you want to talk power? But he told me in this last decade, He said, there's not only you preaching this stuff, but I'm going to raise people up and they're going to preach this eighth operation, the purging and the power of the Holy Spirit for transformation to them character flaws and those stones and them thorns. He says, I've got hundreds of thousands of believers that I want to pull out of the wheelchair of poverty and make them rich in this last decade. James 5 has got to come to pass. The rich men have heaped it up and it's going to change hands, buddy. There'll be supernatural revival of money changing hands from the sinner's camps to the believer's camps. And the devil's afraid of it. He's afraid of it. Do you hear me? He's pushing for the one world monetary system and the reason he wants to destroy the incredible power that's in money before you and I get it for this last push. And I got news for you. God can't give it to you until you deal with the character thorns and stones of self-exaltation, lust, and destruction. Because the devil will destroy you with it. Oh, you may make it and get it all right, but the kingdom won't have it and you won't have a reward because of it. And later on, you can't eat it! Now that little widow woman's become my hero. I didn't know there was anything about her I should know until I was meditating on her and kept rolling her over. Now she's become my best friend. I'll know her when I get to heaven. That little widow woman with her two mites whom Jesus commented very loudly this woman has given more than all the rich Pharisees. They're throwing $5,000 checks in and she had two mites. She just threw the two mites in. 
And this thing went down in the annals of heaven as a testimony for her forever. And he had the audacity to say that this woman gave more than they all. Two mites? That ain't all about this woman. She pressed past the wealth of the temple. The wealth of the temple. And the apostles commented. They said, look at these stones. Jesus said, they'll not be laid one upon another in the great siege. They'll be torn down. They were remarking about the wealth and the stones that was in it. And she pressed past the wealth of the temple. That didn't bother her. That religion had so much and she was destitute and had nothing. She wasn't bitter at God because her husband died and left her destitute. Jesus said she gave more. She even given to her living. It's not how much you give. It's the faith that it takes you to give it. And that's called character development. And later on in the siege when them rich Pharisees were running up down the streets with $50,000 in a gold sack offering the widow woman $50,000 for one piece of the bread that's baking in her oven. You say, why didn't you give when God wanted it? There's coming a time that there'll be such transformation revivals and people will be so changed. Let me tell you what you're going to see. You're going to hear about revivals breaking out where people are going to take their mongoloid kids, invalids, deaf, dumb, born, deformed, and they're going to fly them in in jets. And these kids are going to be straightened out in the meetings. And the power is going to so affect the city that multi-billionaires... I mean, what, what price can you put on your son? How can you get something money can't buy? There'll be such transformation and saints will so abandon their life to God that it will free God to make them rich. I mean rich, rich because the deceitfulness of riches could not find any thorns to twist up and destroy that person with. Why? Because of the eighth operation. Contentment with godliness is great game. Wished I would have got to make it further, but I do want to say this much on closing tonight. I found out after I came out of one of Satan's traps, I, I couldn't see the forest until after I got out of it. If there's one thing that the devil fears in your life that disorients him, is that you will come to a place sometime in your life where your faith somehow transfers and you esteem the rewards and the glories of heaven as the final and great reward that's worth anything to you in this life. Now, most of us can't see that far because the daily affairs of life and pressure and cares, and we're just fighting to keep our eyes above the water. So we can't see the end of our hand, much less all the way past the barrier of flesh to heaven. And the thing the devil kept hid from me was the thing the elders obtained a good report by. 
And I used to just preach the good report the elders obtained was quenched fires, closed the mouths of lions, gave widows their dead back, waxed valiant in fight. But he also went on to say, and were tortured to death, scourged, imprisoned, put to death. And Moses esteemed the afflictions with God's people a greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt. And that was called a good report wrought by faith. You can't obtain that kind of good report unless your faith somewhere along the line transfers itself and is esteeming the rewards of heaven as the final and great reward. And when it does, an incredible thing takes place. The things you were fighting for here begins to pour in because you got free from them. They become your servant instead of you serving them. And this may shock you. Our great faith verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen is talking about this. Leading up to that verse, Paul said, You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that within yourselves, in heaven, you had a more enduring substance. What he was talking about, they didn't mind them coming in, stealing everything they had, putting them to death, torturing them. They didn't care because they were transformed and renewed in God to the place that they knew within themselves that in heaven they had the real, a more enduring substance. That all of this is temporary. It was just an expression of the real. So they didn't care. They stole everything, threw them in jail, tortured them to death. They didn't care because in themselves they knew in heaven they had the real and this was the temporary so when he says now faith he says so don't cast away your faith he's going to come and he'll come quickly the just will live their whole life by faith don't draw back to destruction he's coming that was the message so when he says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen what he was saying is this what does it matter if they steal all your goods and throw you in prison and torture you because your faith is the substance of that thing you have not seen yet and my faith is all the evidence I need of the things not seen meaning I haven't been to heaven but I know that it exists And you can take my goods because my faith is all the evidence I need of that place called heaven I have not seen. And by this kind of faith, the elders obtained a good report because all the chains was broke off of them. And they come to the place where they sought the kingdom of God first and His right standing in it. And everything that they needed was added unto them. And there's only one way you're going to get there, my friend. And that's through the eighth operation. The Holy Spirit walking you through and bringing you to peace and purging the world out of you and making the realities of heaven more real than even this earth that you walk in. And I'm guaranteeing you, He can do it. And it's Satan's nightmare that you'll come to a place that He'll lose His control and hold over you by you esteeming the rewards and the glories of heaven worth everything that you're fighting here.